Hello, and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 108. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So we've got kind of a Halloweenish story for you folks this week, because, well, Easter's two weeks away, and that's a holiday too. Yeah, that's a stretch, I know. But first, we're going to drabble it up with a quick 100-word story called The Moth by Zach Alexander. Zach is 18 years old, and he lives in Minnesota. He's been listening to us since episode 11, so that pretty much makes him awesome. Her journey had begun 100 years before, when she first chanced upon the electromagnetic waves. The waves had been different than anything she had ever encountered. They had sung to her, and like the siren song, had drawn her inexorably towards their composer. Arriving, she began her slow dance around the source planet, fluttering in and out of the world's atmosphere, each time getting a little closer, and each time feeling gravity pull a little stronger. And then, suddenly, she was unable to resist the pull, and she fell, her body igniting, leaving a streak across the night sky. Our feature story this week is called The Wicked Witch Looks at Forty, Decades, by Janet E. Seaver. Janet's work has appeared in the Foliate Oak online, including the best of the Foliate Oak 2008. Her work has also appeared in Barbaric Yop, Southern Fried Beardness, Children, Churches, and Daddies, and in an upcoming issue of Yellow Mama. She lives and writes in Irving, Texas. So without further ado, The Wicked Witch Looks at Forty, Decades, by Janet E. Seaver. The bell rang and Winnie opened the heavy oak door. Trick-or-treat! Chorused hopeful voices. My, my, what do we have here? She asked. I see a bunny rabbit, the Statue of Liberty, Raggedy Ann, and what is your costume, little boy? A blonde-haired, blue-eyed tyke of eight or so carried a black squirt gun, wore a white velvet fedora, and sported a neck full of his mother's gold jewelry. Oh, hell no! I'm the rapper Ludacris, son! I'm pimping all over the world, know what I'm saying? Holla! Winnie frowned. She had no idea what he was talking about. Still, she was hopeful. No parents in sight. She reached into the black bag of enchanted Reese's cups, treated with her special potion. Maybe one of these little darlings could be coaxed to stay, and kids, I told you not to get too far ahead. Damn it, another parent. Winnie reached into the orange bag and gave each child a miniature Tootsie roll. <laughs> Thanks, said the father, as the oldest boy yelled. I'm gonna bust a cap into homies, yo, for shizzle. 
and jumped off the porch, smashing her carefully carved jack-o'-lantern. Winnie closed the door. She used to live for Halloween, looking forward to it all year long. She was good at mixing the potions, putting up the decorations, luring the little children into her lair. This year, though, she hadn't nabbed a single child, and it was getting late. That was probably the last bunch of trick-or-treaters right there. How was she going to replenish her supply? Not one of those enchanted Reese's Cups had been used. Not a single child was unaccompanied by an adult. Winnie sighed. She'd been avoiding thinking about it, had been putting it off, but it was time for a change. The Wicked Witch business wasn't what it used to be. It had been such a simple thing to lure children with candy back in the old days when candy was hard to come by. She remembered those early days in Salem, making small batches of treacle candy, children knocking at her door. It wasn't such a big deal when a couple of them turned up missing, and when they did, it was explained away by fairies or magic, never attributed to her. Nowadays, you stick a kid in a closet for five minutes, the state police call up an amber alert. A witch just couldn't get ahead. And boy, had the kids changed. Back in the old days, it was yes ma'am, no ma'am, practically right up until they went into the pot. She loved that. But they were boring. Children now were smart, wary, mouthy. They asked questions. They had opinions. Now, occasionally, she met a child she found entertaining, smart, funny. But even when they were dull and insipid, they were still delicious. Winnie had skimmed through the pages of a Martha Stewart Living magazine while standing in line at Walmart when she bought the Reese's Cups and Tootsie Rolls. There was an article about turning over a new leaf. The premise of the article, called Change Your House, Change Your Life, was that when you had your home in order, the rest of your life would fall into place. On a whim, she'd bought the magazine. Winnie reread that article now, then glanced around the house at the tattered dark velvet furniture, the heavy cobwebs festooning the corners, the thick layer of dust on every horizontal surface. Giant spiders scurried up the walls, and one of her rats blinked red eyes from the hallway. She'd spent years getting the house to fit the image of herself as the witch she wanted to be. She looked at the untouched bag of Reese's Cups. They wouldn't keep until next Halloween. It was time to make some changes. She considered the broom in the closet, but pulled out the unused Dyson vacuum instead. She began in the corner, sucking dusty spiderwebs into the canister. It filled immediately, and with a few magic words, Klatu Barata Niktu, it emptied, and she continued. Her familiar, a black cat named Lamia, hissed, arched his back, and disappeared. A good feeling, this cleaning. Change your house, change your life. As she vacuumed, repeatedly emptying the bulging device, she thought of how her grandmother's and mother's stories had been so different. Her grandmother had a simple house in the woods made of gingerbread and candy, where children flocked daily, despite repeated admonitions from parents about the dangers lurking in the enchanted forest. Winnie's mother earned a wary place in the community with the sale of potions to the sick when leeches failed to work, 
casting love spells on request and selling a surprising number of curses. These days, potions were supplanted by the drugs advertised on TV. Love spells were cast by Match.com and eHarmony, and everyone preferred to do their own cursing. Vacuuming the curtains, Winnie noticed that the dust had an odor to it. Modern children. Tisk tisk. So soft and fat, eating McDonald's fast food and sitting around playing Nintendo. When they were boiled down, tiny molecules of grease were released into the air and stuck to everything. Mmm, that fatty flesh. So tender. In her Salem days, she'd found the children a little stringy. Flavorful, though. She wondered if Martha Stewart knew a good method for removing the grease of small children from fabrics. She opened her front hall closet. There were twelve wands in there, several old capes, and at least four peaked hats. The article in Martha Stewart had said you should get rid of anything you haven't used in over a year. Most of this stuff hadn't been used since the 1800s. She kept the burnished hawthorn wand that had been her mother's, and the rowan wand that her grandmother had given her on her tenth birthday, and plunked the rest into a box. Mothers and grandmothers, she thought. This long line of strong witches ends with me. As she cleaned the closet, she thought about how she'd spent the last 400 years, concentrating on her career, really, learning new spells, developing new potions, trying to figure out innovative ways to catch and eat small children. They hadn't been bad years, but times were just so different now. How do you change careers at 400 years old? She knew of several witches who'd done it. Leona had given up a life of witchcraft and married a hotel magnate. Zsa Zsa had gone on to Hollywood and found a moderate amount of success and notoriety. Sarah had gone on to the beauty pageant circuit and then into politics. If they could make the transition, why couldn't she? Other witches had taken the kinder, gentler route, called themselves Wiccans now and talked about the threefold way, touted the idea of white magic, that whatever you put out there came back three times more. She'd always thought it was just so much baloney, but now, facing the need to make some changes in her life, she could see the attraction. Though crystals, herbs, and chakra points watered it down, they made the old ways of witchcraft more palatable. The curtains were open, and the glass in the windows gleamed, the grime of the last hundred years gone. Who needs Windex when you have magic? The Baroque velvet sofa was now spotless, but looked out of place. With a flick of her grandmother's wand, it was now a low-backed, white leather natuzzi. Now it looked wrong among the heavy, dark antiques. So with another wave of the rowan, those were gone as well, replaced by some mid-century modern pieces in beechwood and metal. Change your house, change your life. She glanced in the mirror, took in her scraggly hair and the prominent mole on her chin. It was time to make an appointment at a salon, and maybe a dermatologist. She added these to the to-do list in her Franklin planner. How would it be making these changes in her life? She thought hard about it as she looked at the sunrise, tinging the sky pink and orange outside her sparkling windows. November 1st, the first day of the rest of her life. It was amazing how just a few small changes in her home could change her whole outlook. That Martha Stewart was on to something. 
she would miss the children. Still, she'd tried pork chops a time or two, and they hadn't tasted terribly different. And frankly, on a bun with barbecue sauce and a little coleslaw, you really couldn't tell a pig from a succulent six-year-old. No, you can't. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Some story feedback for an episode a couple weeks ago called Out of His League by Bruce Golden. This was the story about the nine planets playing baseball. This one got more appreciation than it did criticism, but some people just couldn't get past the ridiculous premise. Stalin Says said, A pleasant story, if a bit forgettable. Perhaps a greater appreciation of baseball would add a lure to this piece. Norville Joe said, This was a wonderful tribute to our recently declassified planet. I felt a bit sad for that distant ice cube. It was nice to see the planets personified and pulling for their underdog, well-written and nicely performed. Liz Mirzieski said, Freaky. This episode had two things, both related to my science teaching. First, I'm totally going to have to make a lesson plan with this story. It's highly accessible. Then I'll make it available for all science teachers the world. And then the sex with Elmo deal. Again, freaky. I've taught an entire genetics unit using Muppet genetics. Elmo is the front contender for most chosen male Muppet for this project, sort of like a Muppet's prostitution or wife-swapping for monsters. I've linked to Liz's blog in our show notes, Science Fiction in the Classroom. It's really worth checking out. She uses accessible SF stories to teach principles of science, giving children exposure to a wide range of literature and also having those students use scientific reasoning to evaluate the science found in the literature. She has lesson plans using The Giving Plague by David Brin to teach about viruses and transmission, A Death in the House by Clifford C. Mack to teach the characteristics of life, and more. Great idea and good resource, even if you're not a science teacher. We love hearing your comments on stories. Join our discussion forums if you haven't already and crash the party. If you like hearing the stories we produce, consider making a donation to us, or subscribe for only five bucks a month via the PayPal buttons on our website. We need your money to pay authors for their work and to buy Citibank stock practically giving it away. Speaking of which, you can give Drabblecast away because it's licensed under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license. Just don't change it or sell it or nationalize it. That's it for this week. If you're not subscribed to our other story podcast, Drabblecast B-Sides, you can find a link to that at the top of our website, www.drabblecast.org. There's a new story posted up now. We'll see you next week. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that we be pimping round the world, son. An hour ago this place was loaded, and noise filled the room like the smoke, and laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass, words were all slurred when spoke, yes, words were all slurred when slowed.